Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Thursday, September 9th, 2021. This is Shannon, and tonight I am here with Amber and Brooke, and we are going to do an episode for you that Amber came up with um, earlier in the summer. We are here to talk to you about books set in or around libraries. So, since we are all book people, yes, libraries. (laughs) Libraries are fantastic. We are all book people. We love libraries and hopefully we will have some great recommendations for you. So I'm going to move right into the housekeeping information. Then I'm going to start us off, followed by Amber, and then Brooke will finish the round. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book tonight is the first in a series that I just discovered um, probably about a month ago. So there are two books out so far, and I believe the author is planning to write at least one more. So the first one is called Bait and Witch. It is The Witch Way Library Mysteries, book one by Angela M. Sanders. And I was originally drawn to this series because it's about a librarian on the run. And I really like books about people on the run. So our heroine is Josie. And Josie used to work for the Library of Congress. And while she was there, and all this happens before the story actually opens, but while she was working there, she overheard some very shady things that two people were discussing and she realized that there was some kind of government corruption afoot and she reported it. This put her in quite a bit of danger and so she leaves town um, and she heads west where she gets a job in this little tiny library in a town that like doesn't even appear on a map. And she figures like, this is, this is fine. Like, it'll be a good place to be out of the way until everything kind of gets cleared up with the Library of Congress, like the people that need to be sent to prison for what they're doing, like they will be. And until then, you know, she's safe where she is. But once she starts working at this library, she learns that she was hired kind of under false pretenses because the library in this town is about to close. And the town is kind of split in half as far as like people that want the library to close and people who don't. And 
Josie very quickly learns that there are some really deep-seated secrets that involve the people who are pushing to close this local library. She also discovers through a series of events that I won't spoil for you, that she is part of a magical line and has had her powers kind of suppressed by a spell since she was a child. So not only is she struggling to Mm. save the library, she's also learning about this sort of part of herself that has been kept hidden for pretty much as long as she can remember. Um, I really, really liked this. There was a very cool cat character who acts kind of as Josie's familiar. Um, He is a black cat and he's just always like hanging around doing cool things. Um, And I'm always really happy when I see like a well-developed kitty cat character. Um, Josie sometimes got on my nerves, but in a way that I think made her feel real you know she's not like the perfect character who always does the right thing and even though sometimes I was a little annoyed by some of her decisions I felt like they were very human you know like real decisions so this was a lot of fun I'm really looking forward to reading the second book which just came out um, at the end of August so this one is Bait and Witch It's Which Way Library Mysteries, book one, by Angela M. Sanders. Can't wait to read this. Yes. These are are very cool. The second one is Seven Year Witch. So my first book for the evening is kind of, um, it's definitely paranormal. Uh, It is Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson. So... Elizabeth has always known that sorcerers are evil. She's known this as long as she lives. And Elizabeth is a foundling. And she was raised in a library where the grimoires are magical. And, and so they are, uh, they're mean. And they are held together with like chains and locks. Because if they escape, they will turn into leather and ink monsters and try to kill people. Oh my goodness. And they also have, they also have magical abilities. One night as Elizabeth is sleeping, she wakes up and no one else is awake. Everyone else is sleeping. No one, she can't wake anyone up. And she goes downstairs and she finds the director of the library dead. And one of the grimoires has escaped and tries to kill Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth is then accused of killing the director of the library. And she has to go to the capital city with a sorcerer to try to defend herself. There are all sorts of machinations going on with the libraries, with the grimoires, with the um, you know people in power. And there are also demons who can get you to do things that you don't want to do. They can invade your mind. They can do all sorts of things. So this is, you know, obviously a problem for Elizabeth. She's trying to figure out what is going on. The only thing that she really wants to ever do is be a warden, which is a caretaker of a library. And that is just her main goal, but she has to get through, you know, all of this political intrigue and everything first. 
so it's a really good book, um, you know, set in a library, just Elizabeth's passion for the library. It's a little different because the library books are kind of monsterish, but you know, hey, if you can get back, you know, if you can get past that, it is an excellent book. And again, that is Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson. This is actually on my TBR list, so I might have yes. to check it out. It sounds really it, interesting. It is, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of steampunk, but it's not because it is kind of steampunkish. Yeah. Oh, really? Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, sort of. So my first book tonight was actually going to be a different one, but because Amber just talked about a book where books come alive, I decided that I should probably talk about The Library of the Unwritten, Hell's Library, number one, by A.J. Hackwith. So in this book, there is a library of books that are like partly written. So they're books that the authors haven't finished them and they're in hell and the librarian, her name is Claire and she's been the librarian there for several years. Um, and her main job is to like repair the books and to organize the books, but also she has to keep an eye on them because sometimes the books, um, they can, like the characters, sorry, can escape from the books. And then this is a bad thing because a lot of times the characters, they'll escape and they try to find the authors because they want to influence um, their character or they want to like convince the authors to finish their books. So while Claire is doing this, of course, uh, um, a character, his name is Hero. <laughs> yeah, I know, so original. He, um, he escapes from his book and he takes off to find the author. And this is not a good thing. So Claire and her two, um, two helpers, we've got the former muse and her name is Brevity. And then we also have, um, he's like a demon, um, and his name is Leto, like L-E-T-O. So I think it's Leto. And they set off to um, find Hero and to bring him back. And while they're doing this, um, this guy, he comes and he's like this angelic guy. He comes and his name is um, Ramiel. Um, and he comes and tries to, like, he attacks them because he thinks that they are in possession of the devil's Bible. And the devil's Bible, it's kind of going to tell the secrets that um, could influence the, like, the problems between heaven and hell. And, like, this is not a good thing at all. So Ramiel has attacked them and thinks that they have this Bible. And um, they actually don't. So now they have to go and like figure out like where it is. So the, I've like, I found the book confusing at times um, to follow. But at the same time, 
I liked the I like the idea of it. Like I thought it was an interesting concept of books coming alive and the characters trying to like influence their authors. I just thought it was a really interesting whole thing. And then there was also this really nice sense of found family, which um, we had an episode just recently. So a lot of you guys know how much found family really means to the podcast. But I really, I, I kind of both enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it um, as much as I guess I could have. But there, um, there's other books in this series. So I thought I might actually check out the second book just to see like, where do they go with this? Because it seemed like for me, I felt like this could have been a really good standalone. So I'm kind of interested to see where um, Hackwith takes it. So this is The Library of the Unwritten, Hell's Library, number one, by A.J. Hackwith. Okay, I'm kind of freaked out by books coming alive. Yeah. Especially no. only half finished. <laughs> and are kind of like, uh, like evil kind of mm-hmm. scenes. So my next book is very, very different from the previous two that <laughs> books that come alive and people who escape from their books. So my next book is a memoir. This is Reading Behind Bars. And then the subtitle is A True Story of Literature, Law, and Life as a Prison Librarian by Jill Gruenwald. And if her name's unfamiliar to you, it might be because she is um, a podcaster who does a podcast for Overdrive called Professional Book Nerds. And it is a lovely, lovely podcast. So this is a story of Jill's time working in a minimum security prison as a librarian. And she talks about kind of what led her there. You know, she graduated from college, she had this degree, and it was really hard to find a job in in her field. So she ends up getting hired as a prison librarian. She talks about, you know, the things that startle her about the difference between being a librarian in kind of the outside, you know, free world versus within the prison system. And we have little like vignettes that relate some of her experiences. Um, All the way through, you can really tell that Grunewald has a very deep love for books and for wanting to share those books with people who who need them. Um, I really, I really liked hearing some of the things that she had to say about the ways in which our prison system, you know, fails readers. Like, I I don't think it's a secret that at least here in the U.S., um, the prison system is not great. And I guess it shouldn't surprise me that it's also not great when it comes to libraries and how prison libraries function. However, it did seem that, you know, in the ways that she could, um, that she did work to, to change that in, you know, in whatever way was possible. 
Um, it's a pretty short book. It's not like a super intense read. Parts of it are, are very sad. Parts of it are very moving. But I really enjoyed kind of seeing behind the scenes of a prison in a way that isn't, you know, dramatized for television, like Orange is the New Black or like, what is that? Like Prison Break or something where it's all, you know, very high drama. Um, this was just a very, I don't know, kind of quiet, contemplative look at prisons and the ways in which books benefit prisoners and the things that at least Grunewald would like to see done differently so that prisoners can continue to benefit from reading while in prison. So this is Reading Behind Bars, a true story of literature, law, and life as a prison librarian by Jill Grunewald. That reminds me, I read a book that had a similar title, but it was 30, I think it was called 30 Years Behind Bars, and it was about a prison doctor. Yes, um, I want to read that. It's on my yeah, it's good. It's it's a hard read, um, but it's really it is really interesting. Um, and I know that there are you know you were talking about this prison libraries and things. There are ways for people to donate books to prison libraries. My second book for the evening is the Reading List, and it is by Sarah Nisha Adams. And I was like. I got this book from my library and I was on the waiting list for it. And I got it on like Monday and I seriously did like a chair dance at work because it came in and I grabbed it and I started reading it immediately. I'm sorry, on Tuesday. Um, so the reading list is a, mainly about two people, Mukesh and Alicia. Mukesh is a, um, he is a widower. He lives all by himself. Um, his wife died about two years ago. And he is of Indian descent. And he lives by himself. He doesn't really, he, he, he likes to watch the same documentaries over and over again. But his wife, when she was alive, she always read. And she passed along that reading, that love of reading to her, their granddaughter, Priya. And Mukesh is looking for a way to kind of, you know, bond with his granddaughter. She's about eight or nine. And every time she comes over to his house, she just like reads a book. So at, when he's going through his wife's possessions, he finds a copy of the, the time traveler's wife and he reads it. And he realizes it's a library book and it really, you know, it really affected him. So he takes the book back to the library and there he meets Alicia. And Alicia is a teenager who is working at the library for the summer. And she lives at home with her brother and her mother. And her mother has some pretty significant mental health issues. So one of the kids has to be at home with her all the time. But they don't want anyone to know about it. So they don't really tell anyone, you know, that she has these mental health issues. So Alicia is working at the library and she meets Mukesh for the first time. She's not thrilled about her library job. And at first she's like really rude to him. But the library director says, look, you have to be nicer to customers. And when Mukesh went to see her, he asked if she would recommend a book for him. And somehow she found 
a copy of a book list. Alicia did. And she doesn't know whose it is. She doesn't know who wrote it. She doesn't know why they wrote it. She doesn't know anything about it. And there are eight books on this list. And as Alicia and Mukesh read these books, uh, they get closer together. They get closer to their community. Um, you, you kind of meet other characters who have read these books and like the books make it so that the people can talk to each other, you know, about the really funny things in life, the really hard things in life. And it's just about how the books in the library build community. Um, and it was just a really touching, you know, there were some super, you may ugly cry during this book, but Aww. there are <laughs> some really good, um, you know, really good, you know, even if you haven't read the books that are discussed in the novel, um, it doesn't really matter because the books are just kind of the catalyst that get the, you know, the people to where they need to be and, and you know, where they go in life. So again, that book is The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. I am on hold for this. I'm looking forward to reading this. Yeah. So my next book for tonight is The Library Book by Susan Orlean. Um, and this book is about the 1986 fire um, at the Los Angeles Public Library. And it's a really neat book because it talks about the fire as if like you're experiencing it. So it was really interesting to see like what the people were thinking, um, what was happening. So like, I think it said like 400,000 books were destroyed, like burnt up. Ooh. And then over 700,000 more were actually damaged. And they talk oh. about, the book talks about um, like the author, sorry, she talks about like her experiences growing up and how the library really means meant a lot to her and how books have meant a lot to her. And then she also talks about like the history of books and how libraries have evolved and like where she kind of thinks they're going and a kind of how, like how libraries are really important to the world and to people. And then she also kind of talks about like the fire itself and how, what the librarians did to try and save some of the books and how um, they, they described, for example, where like people in Los Angeles, they kind of made a chain and they were passing books from person to person through the smoke, wow. trying to save these books. And I just, I just thought it was really interesting. Like, um, for me, like fires are really interesting to me just because I find it interesting to see like, why was it done? So like this book is written 30 years after it happened and they had a suspect and his name was Harry Perk, I think it was. Yeah, Harry Perk. And they were never able to prove that he did it. But um, Orlean talks about like his motive and why it might've happened and why she thinks he did or he didn't do it and so I just really I enjoyed this book um so this is the library book and it's by Susan Orlean fire 
is terrifying. We had a very small, I mean, relatively small kitchen fire in 2017. And for like the amount of damage that was done just by like a fire that started in someone's kitchen, I I cannot imagine what like a full scale, you know, well, like Like they said, like, they said, like, oh my God. you could just see, like, the sparks as they went. They flew, and, like, it just would go from, like, stock to stock. Whoa. Yeah. So I couldn't even imagine. It's time for some historical fiction. Because historical libraries are awesome. Well, all libraries are awesome. But since I love historical fiction, it makes sense that I would have a couple of historical libraries to throw into the mix. So my next pick tonight is The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Michelle Richardson. Yay! And yes, <laughs> yes. There are actually two books about pack, actually three books now about pack horse librarians that I could have talked about for this episode. But I think this particular book um, is at least the best of the two that I've read. So this is set in 1936 in the hills of Kentucky, and our main character is a young woman named Cussie, who is part of a very rare group of people known as the blue-skinned people of Kentucky. And because of this blue tinge to her skin, she is really, really ostracized by her community. Um, People want literally you know, as little to do with her as possible. So she gets a job as a pack horse librarian. And that means that she spends her time riding a mule through the hills of Kentucky, delivering books to people in the Appalachian Mountains who are, you know, far away from, from towns who would otherwise have no access to reading material. So she doesn't only bring books, but like magazines, um, cookbooks sometimes, like any kind of like circulars that people are interested in. And through her job at the library, she kind of gets to know some of the people who have avoided her and who she has avoided for various reasons um, throughout the course of her life. This is just a really awesome look at the ways in which literacy can help people to come to a a deeper understanding of not only who they are as people in the world, but just as a deeper understanding of the world at large. Um, There are some other plot points in this novel um, that deal with like medical experimentation on people um, and just how, how we view people who don't necessarily look the way we think they should. But for the purposes of this episode, I think, you know, the the most important part of the novel is Cussie's relationship with books and her job as a pack horse librarian. Um, The other book that I read on this is The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. And then there is The Librarian of Boone's Hollow by Kim Vogel-Sawyer, which came out earlier this year. But this one, I I loved pretty much everything about it. It is The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek 
by Kim Michelle Richardson. So good. So, yes. so good. Yes, it is. I haven't read it yet. I've read the <gasps> JoJo Moyes one. Oh, see, really I haven't good. read that one yet. Yeah, that one I like too. I like that mm. one too, but I think it's a little bit more kind of like high drama. Mm. Like, right. it, you know, like more things happen and it's kind of, you know, then suddenly someone is murdered and there's like a, mm. right, a whole kind of thing. But there, um, but I, I did really like it. And I want to read uh, the Vogel Sawyer book as yes, well. I have that one as well. Okay, so continuing along with the historical fiction theme, because why not? Historical fiction is love. Um, I yes. am going to talk about The Personal Librarian by oh, Marie. Yes, by Marie Benedict. Uh, and the co-author is Victoria Christopher Murray. So this book is about Belle DaCosta Green, or DaCosta Green, and she is hired to be J.P. Morgan's librarian. And what people do not know about Belle and her family is they are actually African-American, but they are very light and they pass as white. And so as... Bell works with J.P. Morgan to, you know, collect all of these rare manuscripts and rare artwork. She has to not only fight, you know, J.P. Morgan, because he definitely had a personality of his own. And, you know, she definitely had to learn how to kind of work the system, I guess, so to speak, because not only, I mean, she was a woman in a man's world. This was late 1800s or early 1900s in the art world. And women just did not, you know, they didn't go to art auctions. They didn't go to manuscript auctions. So not only did she have to deal with, um, you know, being a woman during this time, and dealing with J.P. Morgan and his family, but she also, you know, people were starting to find out some, you know, some of them that she was African-American and, you know, kind of straddling the line between those two worlds and, you know, how passing as white really affected her and the rest of her family and how it gave her opportunities that they may not have had before, but, how those opportunities could so easily be taken away. So it was a really, you know, it was one of those books that you kind of have to be in the right headspace to read. And for a while I wasn't. So I started it and then I put it aside for a couple of weeks. And I do this with a lot of books. And then I came back to it and, you know, it really impacted me very deeply, but it is, it is definitely a book that, you know, you, you do kind of have to be in the right headspace to read, but it was definitely worth it to me. And that book is, again, The Personal Librarian by Marie Benedict with Victoria Christopher Murray. I am so excited for this one. Yeah. Have you, have you read it? No, I have it here. So my next book, we're going to stay historical fiction. So I'm going to do The Paris Library by Janet Skestlein Charles. And I apologize, Miss Charles, if I said your last name, your, the, your last name wrong. I totally apologize. So in this book, we, 
are kind of like, it's like a dual timeline. So we first meet Odile um, in 1939. And she is a 20 year old who is just about to start her life. Like she's very excited. She is applying for a job at the American Library in Paris. And she just so badly wants this job because who wouldn't want to be a librarian, right? So her um, father is a police chief. And like, she just kind of got it all going for her. And she gets the job and she's working and having a great time. Um, Given the time period, like you can imagine her police chief father was like, I don't understand why you want to do this. Like there's, you don't need to be working. Like you should just be looking for somebody and like, you know, you know, the kind of whole, the old women stay at home and stuff. But now a war has broken out and the, um, and we started following the a library where, um, when the Germans begin to invade and while doing this, Odile's father now is in charge of checking out, like reading all the different letters of people that are accusing others of things that like of being like um, undesirables really. Um, So that's his job. And at the same time, Odile has a beau and his name is Paul. And he also works for the police and he is in charge of doing like the grunt work for the Nazis. And he's really upset about this um, because he just, he doesn't want to do this. And her, her twin brother, um, he ends up applying to join the army and he does. Um, and this is really upsetting to Odile because he never really talked about it with her and being her fraternal twin, like they've always been together. So she just couldn't imagine life without him to be able to just discuss everything that's going on in her life. Meanwhile, at the library, things are going along, but then the there's a declaration that they are no longer able to serve their subscribers that are of descent like German, not German, sorry, Jewish descent or other um, descents that are not desired by the Germans. So the librarians, they're like, this is not cool. Like we know our subscribers and like, we don't, we don't feel that we can be like, we don't feel like we can just like ditch them. So they decide that they're going to resist this um, decree. And so what they do is they contact the people ahead of time and they find out like, what kind of books are you looking for? So one of the people is, uh, one of their subscribers is this professor. And so Odile, she'll call her up and say like, hey, what are you looking for professor? And she'll say like, whatever. And then Odile will pack them all up and then she sets off to take the books to her, which is a little bit like she's got to be really careful about it because she has to go through checkpoints 
And like, you have to be careful because you don't know if they're going to take the books away from you. Because at the same time, the Nazis are invading different libraries and like stealing all the books or they're destroying some of the books because they don't think that they're appropriate. And of course, like the American library does not want this to happen. So she's got to be really careful. So we learn a lot about the professor. And so while this is happening too, some of their subscribers are ending up in concentration camps because as I said, like they're considered undesirable by the Nazis. Um, so they're sent to concentration camps and you get to like kind of hear about some of the things that are happening to them. Cause like one of the librarians, um, I think he works at the circulation desk. He's Russian, his name is Boris and he is snatched up by um, a German invasion of his like poker game. He gets taken to um, the, to this camp or wherever this holding area. I don't know if he actually ends up at the camp, but he ends up in like a holding area. And we get to kind of hear about like what happened to him. And then the librarians are able to get him released, which is really, I thought that was really neat. So I just really enjoyed this book because I loved hearing about the resistance. And then as I said, like the dual timeline. So now we go to 1983. And we rejoin Odile, and she is now living in a place in Montana. And all we know is she never married Paul, and she's living a very recluse life. Um, she All she really does is go to church, and she ends up becoming friends with her neighbor, who is a young girl named Lily and Lily's having a really rough time because her mother is dying and so she becomes friends with Odile and Odile starts teaching her French which is really neat so they they kind of join and develop a friendship based on language and based on reading and we start learning about Odile's story and like why thing like why like, why is she in the U.S. and now, and why did she never marry Paul? And you kind of learn it in ways that, like, Lily is kind of, like, trying to discover these secrets because she's a very curious girl. So I just thought it was really neat how they did this dual timeline and how we follow Odile in both um, 1939 to um, 1983. And I liked how they intertwined the two, like the two kind of times, time periods. I just thought it was done quite well. So this is the Paris Library and it's by Janet Skesling Charles. Yeah, I started here. reading this book and then I got distracted as often happens to me and I, uh, we'll yes. have to restart it but it was the the part that I read I especially like Lily because Lily yeah. is just like that annoying kid that will yeah. not leave you alone yeah because she wants to know everything so I'm going to keep to the dual timeline theme for a moment and we are going to talk about the lions of fifth avenue by Fiona Davis so I could not do a library episode without talking about this book because 
in the 1913 portion of the novel, our heroine actually lives, lives in hmm. the New York Public Library. Oh, and what? that makes me like so happy. Um, I interviewed Fiona Davis for the podcast last year. And all I wanted to do was talk about like how it was that there was actually, there used to be, there's not now, an apartment built into oh, the public yeah. library for the superintendent and his family. That's so cool. Yes. I would love to live in a library. Like when can I do it? We would never see you again. <laughs> well, you wouldn't. <laughs> or we never no be able to would. find her because she'd be in like a different yeah. stack every time. She yeah, sure I'd would. be like. <laughs> yes, it would be the best. So Fiona Davis is known for writing books that center around iconic locations in New York City. And so in The Lions of Fifth Avenue, she focuses on the New York Public Library. So in 1913, we meet Laura, and Laura is a wife and mother. Her husband is the superintendent of the library, and so her family is actually living, um, living in the apartment that is kind of built into the library. Um, apparently now, if you tour the New York Public Library, which you used to be able to do, I don't know if you can now because of COVID, but if you could, um, you would see that the apartment no longer exists. But they live there, and this is pretty much like anything that Laura could have ever wanted. Um, she really loves her life, except as her husband kind of gets more and more involved in his job, she kind of finds herself like wanting something more. So she decides that she is going to enroll in the Columbia University School of Journalism, which has just begun accepting female students. So as she does this, and as she moves around the city, kind of gathering information for stories that she is assigned to write in school, she begins to learn a lot about women who live different lives than anything that she has known. Um, she starts to develop an interest in women's suffrage, for example. And it doesn't take long before she becomes involved in some of the like, marches for, for equality. Um, and this really kind of calls into question for her some of the things that she has grown up believing about her role in the world. However, things kind of come crashing down around Laura when valuable books begin disappearing from the library. And her husband is accused of their, of their theft, or at least in being like complicit. So now she's kind of drawn back home and forced to kind of help her family recover from this. We then jump forward to 1993, where we meet Sadie. And Sadie is working at the public library. And she's putting together all of these like exhibits, collections um, about the library's history. And as she's doing this, she realizes that you know, during the 1913-1914 year, there were a bunch of books that were stolen. And she's curious to know like how this happened, how it happened, who was involved. And so she starts kind of digging through all this material that she has access to 
And she finds that there may be some links to her own past and her own family history through um, people that used to work in the library. And I can't tell you how Sadie connects to Laura without kind of spoiling things. But um, I think my favorite portions of the book, um, as often is the case when we talk about dual timeline, um, would be the, por the, the portion that's set in 1913. Um, but I also did enjoy kind of seeing Sadie piece things together and sort of bring the story to a close in a way that couldn't have happened in like, Laura's portion of the book. Um, I really like Fiona Davis. I think the only book of hers that I didn't absolutely love um, was the Chelsea Girls, but everything else she's done, I'm super excited to read um, again and again and again. And she has a new book coming out in January that I am also very, very excited for. So this is The Lions of Fifth Avenue by Fiona Davis. Do not kick me off the podcast, but I have never read Fiona Davis before. That's a terrible thing. Oh my God, thing. you need to. I know. <laughs> Speaking of sharing, uh, my last book for the evening is The Last Chance Library by Freya Sampson. Um, and this book just came out. So meet June. June is the most awkward heroine ever. <laughs> uh, part of the time you will spend cringing for her because she is so socially awkward and part of the time you will love her. Um, so June works at a very small library in a small village in England and she has worked there ever since she graduated from high school. Um, she, you know, her mom worked there before she did. Uh, you know, she grew up in the library. She, you know, was going to go to uni, but then her mom got sick uh, and died. Um, and so June just kind of stagnated and she stays, you know, she lives in the house where she grew up with her mom. She's never changed like any of the ornaments, like everything looks exactly the same as when her mom lived there. Um, she has never gone out on a date. She's never, um, you know, there's just a ton of stuff that June hasn't done. And she's 28 years old. She comes to work one day and she finds out that the council wants to close six libraries and their library is on the list to be closed. Oh. And June's boss tells her that she, because she is a library. So they, they, <laughs> the people in the community, uh, they start a, like save the library club like it's a, a group <laughs> and its acronym is all. but it's actually f-o-c-l friends of chelcott library but everyone like the, the everyone just says like you know have you gone to the fuck all group lately so like <laughs> that's kind of like the humor that you know you're dealing with is like you know so june is not allowed to join the group so she has to do things kind of undercover so but June being the extremely awkward person that she is she messes things up um, one of the things that she has to do is her boss's daughter is getting married and she's having a bachelorette party uh, in England they call them apparently hen dues um, <laughs> and so 
one of the bridesmaids has invited a stripper to go to the Hindu. Oh but, my goodness. But the, her boss doesn't want this stripper to show up because she thinks that, you know, like it'll make her family look bad. So she makes June go to the party and she has to like divert the stripper and the stripper shows up at the fuck all meeting. Like this is what we're dealing with. So it's a very funny book. But at the same time, it also deals a lot with community and how the community comes together. You have these really over-the-top characters. Like, you know, there's this one lady who loves to protest all the time. Like, it's what she does. Every book that she reads, she, like, marches into the library and she's like, this is a piece of crap. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, she's just one of those people that just rants and raves all the time. And she's just so funny. You have Stanley. Um who is, you know, an 82-year-old man. He always shows up at the library like he's the first one to show up. No one really knows anything about him. And you learn about him throughout the book and you learn about his circumstances and how libraries have really helped him, you know, throughout the years when he has been at really low points. You know, he says, you know, there were points in my life where like I was living in my car and the library was the only thing that saved me. you deal with homeschooled kids and how they go to the library. Uh, and, you know, there's this homeschool kid and he's very awkward. And, you know, the library people make him feel very welcome. And there's the immigrant family who comes in, you know, who wants to learn how to cook English dishes. And so she gets, you know, cookbooks. And it's just how a library brings a community together. And what that means to different members of the community. So it's a, and there is also Alex who has a crush on June. And it's the most awkward romance ever because June has never kissed anyone. She's never gone on a date. Um, (laughs) And it's also about June herself. um, Because, you know, it's about how June grows. And in the beginning of the book, she's very timid and very shy. And then as the book goes on, you know, she really stands up for herself. She stands up for the library. Um, She stands up for members of her community and just how that really affects her and how that makes her grow. So I really enjoyed this book. Um, There is obviously a little bit of uh, strong language in the book uh, in regards to fuck all. um, (laughs) So again, that book is The Last Chance Library and it's by Freya Sampson. It definitely is a book that needs to be on my TBR list. Is this is moving to the top of mine? Normally, I don't like funny books. I'm not like a huge funny book person. You know, like I think you and I kind of, you know, I think you and I kind of talked about Bridget Jones's diary, and I hated, you know, I hated that series. Um, I've never read it. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, Anyway, uh, (laughs) but this book was very funny. It was very touching. Um, you know, and it was just, it was just one of those that I I really enjoyed. And I I was surprised. So my final book is The Midnight Library by (gasps) Matt Haig. And I wasn't totally sure about reading this book. So it's got so much fanfare, but it's also gotten some not so fanfares. So I was kind of, I was a little bit nervous about reading this book because I, you just never know, right? So I actually quite liked it. So our main character's name is Nora. And Nora, she is not doing so well. She has really, really severe depression. And 
when we join her, she um, finds out that her cat has died. Um, his name is oh, Voltaire. No. And one of her neighbors finds him on the side of the road. And so she's very upset about this because she's all like, well, I shouldn't have let him outside. And it's all my fault. Well, to add to this, she gets let go from her job. And her brother is not talking to her. So she decides that nobody loves her. Um, the world would just be better without her. And like, she just wants to die. So she begins taking an overdose and she appears in the Midnight Library. And she is greeted by the librarian that used to be her librarian when she was in school. It doesn't tell you like what year of school. So I don't know if this is high school or elementary school, um, but the librarian's name is Mrs. Elm. And so Mrs. Elm, she tells Nora that this library contains books from different, like different decisions that she makes and like where her life can go based on those decisions. Cause like any little tiny decision that we make kind of affects our lives in some way, right? So the first book that Mrs. Elm gives her is her book of regrets. And the regrets start, like the regrets is from all over her life. From the time she's like zero, so it starts at zero. I don't really know how many regrets an infant has, but um, it starts from when she was zero to now, which she's in her 30s now. And so she's reading through and it's not really making her feel any better. So Mrs. Alm tells her like, is there something that you really, really wish you had decided differently? And she decides that she wishes that she had never left Dan at the altar um, because she believes that her life could have been great because Dan wanted to open a pub with her and they just had this whole life figured out. But she had decided that it just wasn't like she didn't feel that it was the life for her at the time but now she thinks that she had made a bad decision so the library kind of starts twirling and the books start coming alive and then all of a sudden the shelves stop moving and Mrs. Elm tells her okay grab that book so there's a book on the shelf and she grabs it and she is now teleported into that life. And what I kind of thought was kind of funny is that she's literally teleported into it as if she's like part of the holes that she's always been there. So she kind of has to like take a moment to like figure out like, okay, what, where am I at? And like, what should I be knowing? And like, what are people talking about? And who are these people? So she has no idea whose people are. And she has no idea like where she is. So she has to like look for like landmarks and all this stuff. Like she's pretty much starting from like the point that she is at 
and but then she's jumping into these stories. So she joins Hadan and she's there for I don't know a little bit and things just aren't the way that she had imagined. She realizes that her and Dan just don't go well together because she just feels like Dan really doesn't care so much for her that he's more kind of focused on himself and like that for her that doesn't work. So what happens is when she begins getting regrets and stuff, then she gets teleported back to the Midnight Library. So she rejoins Mrs. Elm and Mrs. Elm is like, so I guess you saw that that life just wasn't what you were thinking. And she's like, no. And she's obviously more depressed because like, I couldn't even do that properly. So Mrs. Elm tells her to pick something different. And and then, like she has like, I think she ends up picking like five different ones over the series of the book. And in each of them, she learns something about herself. And she also learns something about the situation and how it could have been good or maybe it might not have been so good. And it was really neat to see her come to the, those realizations that it's not really her fault that everything is going the wrong way, that sometimes it's just the situation. And that also decisions that she makes in one time can affect decisions later on. Like, for example, there's a boy in like her, so back when she like in her, so in real time, right? There's a boy that she was teaching piano to and he was doing, he was kind of like, before she started teaching him piano, he was kind of on the road to not so good times. Like he was going to get involved in a gang and stuff like that. So his mom saw that he was very interested in music. So she, um, Nora was working at this, um, like the store, this store, this music store. And the mother asked her if she knew anybody who could teach him piano lessons because he was very interested in music. And so Nora's like, I don't really have experience teaching, but I do have an old keyboard and I'd be willing to learn alongside him. Like I would learn to teach him because I'm very good at piano. So she does that and he's doing amazing. Like he's getting grades, he's doing well in school. And so things are just going really great for him. Well, when she looks back at a decision that she had made and she decides to like change that decision, she meets up with this boy in that scenario and he's actually part of a gang and he's not, he's not in a good place. And that really bothers her because she really loved that she made a difference in his life. So seeing that was part of the way for part of her realization that yeah I there are people out there that I've done good things for and that some of my decisions they I they were the right decisions because I made a difference for somebody so it's really neat to see characters that you see in the start where her life is not going very well but then you see it see them in where she had changed a regret 
and see where where did they turn out to be or where did they end up. So I thought I really liked it. So this is the Midnight Library, and it's by Matt Hag. All right, I need to add this to my list because I was it I was really skeptical. Cool. Like I was I was very skeptical just because it was so like talked up and stuff. But then I like saw like some people loved it and couldn't stop raving about it. But then other people are like, no, no, this is totally like, so you just never know, right? There are a lot of books lately that are kind of looking at, you know, what happens if you make a different decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like um, The Other Me by Sarah Zakrich Jang was released in August and it looks at like, you know, this woman who is sort of transported into a life that like she didn't choose to live, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. if she had married her high school sweetheart, um, you know, and had like made different choices. It seems like there's a lot of things that are kind of exploring like that question. So this brings us to the end of our discussion of books that are set in libraries. Thank you to Amber and to Brooke for coming up with (laughs) such fantastic books for this episode. As always, thanks goes out to the fabulous Christine for all of her editing. And thank you so much to all of you who join us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm